Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We believe that the gospel really is good news, that the blood of Jesus worked, and that Jesus meant it when he said, it is finished. In Christ, we are dead to sin and alive to God, forgiven and free, clean and close, holy and beloved, blessed and made new. If God is doing something special in your life, we would love for you to tell us about it. You can simply email us at info at lifejourneyva.com. One of the reasons we are able to provide these weekly podcasts is because of the generosity of people like you. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. It's always a little bit nerve-wracking just getting started, you know. It's like you look out and it's a lot of folks. Um, Very different challenge than last week. Last week, Stephanie and I had the kids. And so that was trying to keep them settled down and not interrupting. And I'm guessing today's going to be a very different challenge. I'm going to try to keep you awake, slightly engaged, hopefully. Um, So we'll see. But um, this morning, like Walt said, I do want to speak from from John 4. And I'm just going to focus on verses 1 through 26. I think it's like close to 50 verses in the whole chapter, and that seemed like a bit much uh, for me this morning. But um, we're going to look at the the story of the woman at the well. Um, But before I dig in, I just want to say, like, one of the things that I really enjoy about coming up and speaking when I've got the opportunity um, is just knowing that this is really a conversation so I feel like when I come up and speak, I'm just trying to get the ball started. So at the end, as the Lord's revealed things to you that you can, sh- that you can share back, you know, like by no means am I going to cover every single thing in this text. Um, I'm sure there will be meat left on this bone. So please, um, you know, just know that, that hopefully at the end we can have some, some more discussion um, about it. So anyway. Without further ado, um, you know, as, as Walt and Brandon have gone through the first three chapters of John, we've seen a lot of um, this theme emerging of the seen versus the unseen reality of, um, of Christ's ministry here on earth. Um, and when, even though I wasn't in here last week, I'm pretty sure Walt finished out at the end of chapter three, when Jesus and his disciples were in the land of Judea and they were baptizing people um, and they were doing so the same way that John the Baptist was, was baptizing, right? This was not the Christian baptism that we experience today. This was not people being, you know, identifying with the death and resurrection of Jesus because he was still alive, right? (laughs) Um, So this was more of a call to repentance and really a call back to the law. Um, and so, you know, as I started reading this, one of the cool things for me was realizing just how incorrectly I've read this chapter a lot over the years. I mean, I've probably read it, I don't know, 50, 100 times. I don't know. And just little things like that where you start to dig in and you realize some biases that, that you might have, have brought. So, um, so starting in John 1, we see... Therefore, when the Lord knew that the Pharisees had heard that Jesus was making and baptizing more disciples than John, 
uh, although Jesus himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Um, one more. Into three. He left Judea and went again into Galilee. And that starts out with when the Lord knew. Um, and I don't know if he knew because people had come back and told him and reported and said, hey, the Pharisees know that you're doing this. Just wanted to give you a heads up. Or if this was more um, like what we found in John 2, where it's more just uh, his omniscience, if you will, where he just knew. Um, you know, in John 2, at the end of that um, chapter, it says, but Jesus on his part was not entrusting himself to them, talking about men, for he knew all men. And so again, I don't know how he knew, but he knew that the Pharisees were aware of, of the baptism that was going on. Um, and so his response was not to, to stay and kind of provoke anything, but to leave. Um, you know, I don't know exactly why that is, but my guess is because as we find throughout the Gospels, his hour had not yet come, you know. Um, and so one of the things that I think, I'm going to go back, one of the things I thought was neat here was in chapter 3, it talks about the Lord and the disciples baptizing. And then immediately in 4, it clarifies. And, and he says, but Jesus himself was not baptizing. His disciples were. And so I, I dug into a commentary by Matthew Henry, who I just kind of go to. He's my go-to commentary, for better or worse. Um, so some of this is, is borrowed from him. Um, but he pointed to this, and he said, you know, there, there are a number of things that are a number of reasons why this might have been called out like it is. And that, a couple that really resonated with me um, were that, one, Jesus might have been reserving the baptism that he did for what we find in Acts with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Um, another would be that perhaps he didn't want to cause future division. So, you know, we read, I think it's in first or second Corinthians where Paul is saying, Hey, you said, you know, Apollos baptized you. And some people say that I baptized you. And so maybe he wanted to avoid that. And so he stood back while his disciples baptized. But I'll say the one that really, really connected with me, again, maybe it's right, maybe it's not, is that he was showing the people, he was empowering his disciples, um, to take part and to lead in kind of the sacraments, if you will, and pointing to say, um, like the holiness and the reverence of the sacraments are not dependent upon the person that, that kind of executes them or delivers them. Um, and I think just as a New Testament body of believers, that's really important that we recognize the priesthood of the believers. And I, I think this at least as a shadow of that, or maybe it alludes to it. So, um, so we know that he's uh, on his way from Judea to Galilee. And then you find this little verse that if only I'd known this as a kid, this would have been the one I would have memorized. Like when I had to, <laughs> when mom would say, you need to memorize a verse. That one, I think I could have gotten. Um, so, John Ford says, and he had to pass through uh, Samaria. And so, you know, I am not a uh, 
biblical geography scholar by any means. I can barely like navigate uh, Charlottesville proper, uh, much less uh, Israel. And so I pulled out the map and I looked at it and sure enough, he's in the south in Judea where Jerusalem was. You know, I think he had just you know, recently cleansed the temple. Now we know he's leaving to go north to Galilee and you just find this big pocket on the map called Samaria. Um, and I think we all have some understanding that the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along very well. Um, I certainly didn't recognize the depths of that kind of disdain, if you will. Um, so I'll share just a little bit about it so that hopefully it provides context for the interaction that's about to happen. Um, so historically, the Samaritans were the the Jews that had been left behind when like the Assyrians and the Babylonians conquered and they were too poor or too weak or for whatever reason, they just got left behind and they ended up intermarrying and, um, you know, really losing a lot of their Jewishness for, I'm sure that's not a real word, but, um, you know, and so they ended up marrying Gentiles. They adopted a lot of the pagan religions but they still held on to some level of what they, I think they probably still considered themselves, at least in part, to be Jewish, which we'll see later on in here. But the, the Jews did not accept that. So going all the way back to like way deep in the Old Testament in the book of Ezra, when Ezra and Nehemiah and those that the Jews came out of exile back to Jerusalem to rebuild. Um, the Samaritans originally came and said, would you like our help? And they said, nope, we don't want your help. And I just thought that was striking. I mean, you're talking about a people with, with not a lot going for them in desperate need to quickly rebuild the city. People come and ask if they want help. And they said, no. So that I think tells you a little bit about how they felt about them. And, you know, I won't get into the, the whole thing, but quickly then the Samaritans got angry about that and they started working against the Jews. And so it just, you know, continues to be this situation of them really not getting along. Um, and another example that I think is probably even more relevant than going all the way back, you know, 600 years plus, is you see in Matthew 10, um, the beginning of Matthew 10, Jesus is about to send out his disciples with power and to, you know, heal the sick and perform all these miracles. And we find in verse 5, it says, These twelve Jesus sent out after instructing them, do not go in the way of the Gentiles and do not go into any city of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you know, clearly Jesus is making a distinction there. The, the, the Samaritans were not included in the lost sheep of, of Israel. Um, and so, again, you just find this, it's fairly striking that, that Jesus is about to pass through Samaria, even though he had told, uh, he later tells his disciples not to go to them with a message. And so, yeah, I, I kind of look at this as more of like an accidental trip, if you will. I mean, he's just, he's not going there on official business necessarily. It's like he's, he's on his way to Galilee and he's just passing through. So, um, so he came to the city of Samaria called Sychar. 
uh, near the parcel of ground that Jacob had given his son Joseph. Um, And I won't linger there. Uh, And Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well, and it was about the sixth hour. Um, you know, just one thing that really struck me here is the, the line there that says, and Jesus was weary from his travel. Um, you know, I think it's so easy for us to read the gospel accounts and think of Jesus as this superhero that you know, never got tired. I mean, he fasted for 40 days in the, in the wilderness. He did all of these you know, incredible things. And yet here you find the, the manness, you know, in, this, in the God man that, uh, of Jesus. Um, and he, he was just weary. Um, I, to me, that, that is kind of a, just a cool thing to, to come back to uh, whenever you see it, kind of like when you find Jesus wept, you know. I mean, you see this humanness of, of him. Um, so... So moving into verse 7, it says, There came a woman of Samaria to draw water. And Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. Um, and again, I was looking through what Matthew Henry had to say, and he pointed out something that I give him full credit. I did not see this. Um, but I think it's really cool. Um, and that is, so a woman is going out to draw water. And he said, there's just something special about women drawing water in the scriptures. Um, and he pointed to Rebecca when Abraham sent out his servant to find a bride for Isaac. Where did he find her? He found her, found her at a well. Um, when Jacob, in the, in the verse here, when Jacob uh, was running from Esau and he went to a well. That's when he first saw Rachel. Um, and so I just thought that was really cool that, that you see this. You see um, women just going about their daily business, not in search of anything other than, you know, just taking care of practical needs. And their life gets, you know, incredibly changed, right? I mean, the whole course of human history changed on Rebecca showing up at the well and, you know, similarly with Rachel and now this woman. Um, so, you know, and, and one thing just to point out, and it'll, we'll come back to this later, but so they weren't looking, um, for anyone, uh, but someone found them. And so, you know, Jesus just says, he's weary. He says, give me a drink and we won't stay here long, but to prove to Walt that I actually listened to him on Sundays, he says, for, this, for his disciples had gone into the city to buy food. So this four always tells us to look backwards a verse. Why did he ask them? Or why did he ask her for water? Because his disciples had gone into the city. There we go. Um, so, uh, you know, they were, you know, off searching for, for a very real thing, just looking for food. Um, and here he is weary and, and ready for water. Um, and this is really kind of where the, the meat of the interaction begins. It says, therefore, the Samaritan woman said to him, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink, 
since I'm a Samaritan woman, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. And I think how we read this, like the intonation we use as we're reading it here is really important. So I'll tell you how I always read it, and then I'll tell you how I, now I see it. So how I always heard her say, reading this was, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for water? Since I'm a Samaritan woman, like with this humility and this, oh my gosh, like the opportunity that I have to interact with a Jewish man, um, you know, wow, un, unworthy am I. And if you think back to the context that I just gave about how much the Jews and the Samaritans really disliked each other, and you think about, you know, here's Jesus coming into her territory, you know, coming into her neck of the woods and needing something from her. Um, yeah, I think it, I think a case could be made that it's more like this. How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for something since I am a Samaritan woman? You know, and a very mocking and ridiculed type of way of saying it. Because here, you know, I don't, please correct me if I'm wrong, um, I think the real distinction and the kind of the source of the animosity between them really came probably more from the Jewish side of saying, you are not part of us, not from the Samaritan side. And so, you know, I, I just think that kind of changes a lot of it, for me at least. Um, you know, I think it's, you know, it's just one more time that our Lord is here being mocked and ridiculed. Um, but, you know, it's, uh, I don't know, to me that was just a, a, a different way of, of seeing it is um, she likely was not trying to be particularly helpful. Um, you know, the other thought that came to me this morning even was, I wonder what would have happened if she had just said, okay. <laughs> you know, if, if he really was just passing through, I mean, not everything that the Lord did in, you know, in his three years of ministry was recorded. Right. I mean, there were certainly times that he just went somewhere, somebody helped him out, he you know, had somewhere to rest, had somewhere to eat, um, and we don't have a record of it. And so who knows what would have happened if she had just said, sure thing, like, I'm happy to help out, but she doesn't. So here she is, you know, she really calls him out, and she's pointing to things that are very, the, the very visible differences between them, right? You know, if we, we think about the seen versus the unseen, you know, she's looking at it and she's saying, how is it that you, being a Jew, so calling out that distinction, ask me for a drink since I am a woman. So she's already, see, like, focused very much on the physical here. Um, and so Jesus answered and he said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Um, and there is a lot in that verse. There's just there's a whole lot there. Um, I think just the grace that he responds with, if if my interpretation's right, and that that she really was mocking him, the grace that he extends just to say kind of like calm down like if you knew who you were talking to you'd be happy you know 
you would be asking me for the for the water. Um, you know, I think that really stuck out to me. Um, and let me see. I want to make sure I don't miss too many of my points here. Um, and so, you know, after he, he responds and just kind of leaves it hanging there. If you knew who I was, you'd ask me. And she turns right back around and I think it continues to kind of just jab him with, with pointing out what he lacks and that she, he needs her now. And she says, she says to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. The well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Um, and again, um, you know, she is just, you know, continues just to point out the very obvious things. Um, let's see. Um, and so, so she's, oh, there we go. So, um, so then she continues on and she says, you are not greater than our father Jacob, are you? Who gave us the well and drink of it himself and his sons and his cattle. Um, you know, so she's already called out hey, all these differences. You're Jewish. You're a man. I'm a woman. Um, you don't have anything to get the water with. Um, and now I feel like she's even kind of getting religious on him and saying, you know, you know, look, here you are, you need me, and certainly you're not greater than our father. And so here she is, again, if, if I'm right, and the Jews are the ones who really are making this distinction between Jews and Samaritans, she's kind of trying to go back and say, shared heritage, you know, like, we got the same ancestors, um, our father, Jacob, uh, who gave us the well, and even Jacob drank of it. Um, and so, again, Jesus said, Jesus answered and said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. Um, and so, you know, while she has been so focused on what is visible and the visible differences, um, he really addresses, he, he responds in a very different way. I think he starts out with kind of meeting her where she is and talking about what is seen and what's clear. You know, um, he, he said, you know, everybody who drinks of this water will thirst again. I think that's a comment that she would agree with. Right. I mean, he's saying, yeah, this is, you know, this is water. Um, and yeah, it'll, it'll satisfy, but it, it does not quench your thirst, you know, forever. You're going to have to continue to come back over and over again. Um, and he's saying, you know, even, even this water that can trace its roots back all the way back to Jacob is not capable of satisfying your thirst. Um, it's good, it meets a need, but it doesn't fulfill it. Um, 
And then I think, you know, if you think back to the question or the statement she said, you are not greater than our father Jacob. I think what he's saying here is, yes, I am. Actually, I am greater. Remember, if you knew the gift of God, you would have asked me for the water. And now I'm going to say it again. What I give you is greater than what this well can give you. Um, You know, and if you, you know, if you think about that statement and try to, I tried to unpack it and say, okay, that, so that's the water side of it. But then think about what else kind of descended from Jacob. And you see the other things that, that Jacob gave were the law, right? I mean, it, it went through Moses and, and the law came. And I think this is very similar. Um, you know, he's saying that, um, you know, if you think back to the law, it required people to come back over and over and over again, you know, daily or at least annually for the forgiveness of sins and for, um, you know, just all the, the rituals that, that, are, that go into uh, Judaism. That, you know, it's, it's the same thing. I think there's, there's a parallel there between going back for water and going back to kind of make yourself right with, with God. Um, and he's saying, what I've got is far greater than that. Um, you know, whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. Um, and I think that's exactly what we find, right? So when we drink of the water of Jesus, um, you know, that... What, that new covenant that, that he offers is not one that we have to go back over and over and over to. It is a complete and finished, um, you know, work. We are not dependent on going back to that same well um, for that source of life. Um, and kind of in a slightly you know, different vein, I think, it's really cool that she pointed out Jacob and that this is all happening at Jacob's well because I know not everybody, I don't know, maybe everybody doesn't believe this. I think that when you look at the Old Testament and you see Jacob wrestling with the angel, I think a case could be made that that was the Lord pre-incarnate. Um, and she's saying, you're not greater than him. And I think Jesus could be saying, Actually, we wrestled. I touched his hip, and I think I've, I think I've proven that. You know, I am greater than Jacob. Uh, not only what I, not only am I greater than him, but what I offer is greater as well. Um, so I just thought that was just one of those cool things. You know, none of what happened in Scripture was just by chance. Um, so, uh, and the other thing here that I wanted to point out. So that yes, you know, the the offer that. Or sorry, the water that Jesus gives causes us to never thirst. Um, and then he goes on, he says, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water. And that, I'll tell you, like, if none of you get anything out of me coming up to speak that I dug into this, I got something new out of it. Um, so thanks for bearing with me if that is the case. But um, so, I mean, every time I'd ever read this passage, I think I'd focused on that, the first part that I just shared about, oh, you know, once we taste of Jesus, that, that life is 
touched us in a way that we are never thirsty again. And it's probably obvious to everybody here. Um, I had just never seen this become in him a well of water springing up. And I think that is just the Holy Spirit within, right? I mean, it's not, he's not saying, oh, you taste of me and then you walk away and you never have to, you know, experience me again. No, he's saying, yeah, you taste of me and then I am married to you. You know, we are one. I am within you. That You don't have to come back to the well. The well's inside of you. Um, I just thought that was awesome. Like that was just, I don't know, for whatever reason, you know, after reading it, who knows how many times, I'd never seen it. And so, yeah, the, the well truly is inside of us. What a wonderful, you know, part of the new covenant. Um, and so, <clears throat> I, I wish that I, I should have told you to, uh, Walt, I should have asked to, to get this just to stop right here. So I'm going to break this one verse into two pieces. and uh, says, the woman said to him, sir, give me this water. And if she had stopped right there, it would have been perfect, right? You would think she got it. She gets that what he's offering is so much greater. He is not focused on water coming out of that well. <laughs> this is not physical. This is not seen. She gets it. Um, she does not get it. So she says, sir, give me this water so I won't be thirsty, nor come all the way here to draw the water again. You know, And I'm sure that was a tedious task. Like There's no doubt she did not have a tap in her house that she could just flip it on and clean water comes out. Right? She's going probably multiple times a day would be my guess, drawing water, taking it back to her house. And so she's still very much focused on trying to find a practical solution to a very practical need. And that is, give me some water so I don't have to keep working so hard um, at this. Um, And I think, unfortunately, I I think that's oftentimes kind of how we approach that same, the same promise of of the living water that, that God has given us, right? I mean, I think we go, yes, give me that so that I don't have to, you know, fill in the blank. I mean, I think just personally, I mean, I can think of many times that I've, that I've had a so statement in my life, you know, give me a new job or give me good health or give me, you know, I want a practical solution um, far more than I'm looking for that unseen reality of, and even if this doesn't happen, I have a well inside of me, you know, um, and so, so I think Jesus clearly sees that she does not maybe get, get all of what, what he's going for here in this interaction. And so then he totally switches gears. And he says, he said to her, go, call your husband and come here. And um, that is just really random. You know, if you think about it, like they're talking about water, talking about a well, um, you know, she's finally kind of come around to the point of at least saying, can I have some, some of what you're asking for? And he switches gears entirely. Um, he says, hey, go get your husband and come here. And, and the woman answered and said, I have no husband. Uh, and Jesus said to her, you have correctly said, I have no husband. 
For you have had five husbands, and the one whom you have now is not your husband. This you have said truly. Um, and, you know, if we go back to this screen, I mean, her first statement, I would say, is uh, very indicative of the human condition, <laughs> maybe. Um, she didn't just flat out lie to him. You know, it, I went to VMI, and that, what she did here is what we called quibbling. It's like, you're not, it's not a bold-faced lie. You know, she's not like, oh, I'm, I'm married. Um, it is far from the full truth, though, right? I mean, it is just like a lot of, a lot of parents have probably experienced this, this type of interaction as well. Um, so she says, I have no husband. And he said, uh, you have said correctly, I have no husband. And, you know, you have five. And, you know, here, I just, again, you know, even though she started out this interaction with kind of a mocking tone and has not gotten what he's been trying to say, you just continue to see grace after grace and patience and mercy, I think, in, in the Lord's response. Uh, I mean, even just to say, you know, at the beginning to say, you've said correctly. I mean, he could have just said, you're telling me a lie. You know, be honest with me. Um, and then he, he finishes it. You've said it truly. You know, he's kind of just accepting where she is in, in this whole messy life and saying, okay, like, uh, you know, we're going to get, we're going to work, you know, we're going to discuss this. We're going to have a conversation about it. Um, and I'm not going to just call you out on the carpet over it. You know, like, let's, let's keep going. Um, and this is one of, one of my favorite lines. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Um, yeah, I, I think that's probably fair. You know, like, um, it kind of reminded me of when Nicodemus comes at night, you know, you know, trying to hide from everybody, comes to Jesus and says, now we know you come from God. It's like, it's like this lady's probably been with him. I mean, I've certainly been talking to y'all much longer than the interaction happened between them, right? It was probably three to five minutes of them talking about water. Um, and then he just like drops this truth bomb on her that, hey, you've got five, you've had five husbands, you've got another. And she's like, hmm, you might be a prophet. Um, and so um, I think it's also interesting that in her response, she didn't argue with him or even admit that he was right. You know, she just is immediately ready to switch gears and says, uh, you know, you've revealed a deep truth about me. I'm not going to argue with it, but I'm also not going to accept it. So let's maybe just move on. And, um, and so then she comes back and she says, Hey, I perceive you're a prophet. And then she goes right into another aspect of this scene versus unseen. So she says, she, I think what she's saying is, since, uh, since you're a prophet, you know, I I'm going to give you a doctrinal dispute that I want you to, to weigh in on. And so she says, our fathers worshiped in this mountain. And you people say that in Jerusalem, you people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. And Jesus said to her, uh, well, I'll stop there, actually. So 
just a couple quick things um, about this is, you know, she has accepted or sees that he's a prophet, and then she points to this kind of doctrinal dispute, and I think it's a real, it's it's a legitimate question at least. So if you, um, the mountain that that she's pointing to, I think historically is. Mount Gerizim, or so I don't know, I'm sure I'm not pronouncing it right, but it's where, um, at least I think they believe that's where Abraham built his altar when he had taken Isaac to sacrifice. And so, I mean, this is like a real place in Jewish history. Um, now, it's also, I think, where Sanballat, if I'm not mistaken, had built a competing temple. Um, and so I think that's probably where the tension was. But, you know, Sambalot is the one from Ezra who tried to keep the Jews from rebuilding the wall. So, um, yeah, I think she's asking a pretty important question. I think it's impressive that she knows this much, right? Like, um, and so Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jeru- Jerusalem will you worship the Father. And, you know, I think, I'll go ahead. And he says, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. Um, And so in his response to her, he didn't back away from the truth, right? I mean, he's saying, it's not the mountain, it's Jerusalem. You You know, we worship what we know. So he's not walking it back and saying, hey, you know, just worship wherever. But he's pointing to a greater reality. Um, You know, we've talked a lot in this, uh, in our assembly about how much, how the Old Testament is so much, is just a shadow of the new. And I think that's what we see here is that Jesus is saying, okay, yes, you know, that mount is, it's a good place, you know, whatever. Jerusalem is far greater but there's something way better. There's so like, let's move, move beyond just what we can see here and what we're accustomed to. There's something far greater. Um, you know, an hour is coming uh, when we worship the Father a different way. Um, and so then again, we find him saying, an hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Um, and so, you know, as we start to unpack this just a little bit, you know, I think it, you know, he says, an hour's coming and it's even now that true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. Um, and this spirit, I think, is the same spirit that we find, or the word spirit is the same word for spirit that we found in John 3 when Jesus is speaking to Nicodemus and he says, you must be born of spirit and of water. Um, it's pneuma, am I saying that right? You know, it's the same uh, word for, I think it's wind, and it's, you know, it's just, we find it all over the scriptures, um, you know, this, this word, this idea of 
the spirit. Um, and, you know, I, one of the things that, that stuck out to me was when he talks about the true worshipers worshiping in spirit and truth. Um, you know, if you think back to what Jesus was telling Nicodemus, he was saying, you know, true worshipers, I mean, he uses a different phrase, but true worshipers will be those who are born of spirit and of water. Um, you know, and just like, you know, we as you know, man was created in God's image, um, you know, this next phrase here, he then goes on, he says, God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. And I think what he, what I took at least from it was we were made in God's image and now we know God is spirit and for us to truly worship him and for us to really be his, we must um, be born of the spirit as well, you know, not just of dirt that from where he made us. Um, and I want to just back up here um, and go back to a comment I made earlier about how when, um, when the woman at the well was coming out for water and how, you know, Rebecca and Rachel, they all came and they weren't looking for anything particularly special. They were just looking for, uh, for water and yet somebody else found them with something greater. You know, I think this phrase, you know, the father, uh, for such people, the father seeks, you know, God is the doer, I think, in this, that, you know, whether we are, you know, actively seeking him or whether we're just going about our daily business, God is actively pursuing us, I believe, um, and uh, pursuing those to be his worshipers. Um, You know, it also reminded me of um, John chapter 1. We find the same concept of of God seeking and also of being born of the Spirit. Um, In John 1, 12 and 13, and it says, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become uh, children of God. So to them he gave the right, right? It's, it's God in the active. Um, Even those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, uh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And so if we have been born of God and God is spirit, Right? That is how we will worship him, is in spirit and in truth. Um, you know, and that, you know, we've talked about spirit and, you know, the truth. I mean, it's kind of self explanatory, right? Like, I think in this day and age, truth somehow means a lot of different things, but that word truth is aletheia, and it just means objective truth. <laughs> like, it is what it is. And, um, and that, and God is the truth. Um, and so uh, one other just kind of comment that I wanted to, to make about that is, um, you know, that Jesus's truth, I think here, is so much greater than any doctrinal dispute that she was hoping to have resolved from speaking to this prophet. You know, he's, she's asking about, is it on a mountain or is it Jerusalem? 
And he's saying, look, an hour's coming where it's going to be so much greater than that. And I think we can probably take something from that as well, right? I mean, I think when, when we worship God in spirit and truth, a lot of those kind of doctrinal disputes that seem so important today might not hold up as important in the light of his glory. Um, and so going back to the woman, um, she said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. And when that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Um, and I mean, this poor woman just really doesn't seem to, to be picking up what he's putting down. Um, you know, he, um, you know, she, this whole time she's been pointing at, at things that are seen, right? It's like, you're a Jew, you're a man, you don't have a bucket. Um, and then, and now all of a sudden, now that he's addressing her in a very real way. And like he said, he says, a time is coming, an hour is coming. And then he says, and is now. She goes, but in the future, a Messiah is coming. You know, so it's like she just does not want to stay in the same space that he's operating in. Um, and, and so, you know, here she is saying, you know, again, I'm kind of impressed with just how much she knows about their tradition and their, their law, that she knows different things that, um, you know, about where they should worship. And she knows that a Messiah is coming, um, but she sure didn't see the one, see him right in front of her. And so finally, it's like, I can just see him like looking at her and just, it's as Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he, you know, like you're looking for the Messiah. You're looking for water. I'm right here. Like it it is me. Um, And that, that am he at the end there, like that's not just like a small phrase. Like, I mean, that is exactly what you find throughout the Old Testament when God the Father speaks of himself. So like in Deuteronomy um, 32, 39, it says, this is God speaking. He says, see now that I am he and there is no God besides me. Um, So, I mean, this is Jesus making it as plain and simple for her as he possibly can. He is saying, yeah, you know, I am he, you know, I am that I am. Um, and I just find that to be totally remarkable. Um, I stopped at this verse. There's a lot more even in this interaction um, that, that it builds from. But, you know, this, um, this statement I might be wrong. I tried to poke around and do a lot of research and do like, you know, look at a timeline of the Gospels. I'm pretty sure this is the first time that Jesus clearly articulates his deity um, in a way that people can like understand it at least. Um, You know, you could say, well, when he was at the temple as a child and he said, you know, this is my, my father's house. You know, when he was cleansing the temple, you know, he talked about, you know, destroy this temple and I'll raise it back up. Maybe he had talked to his disciples about it previously, but I'm just shocked that Jesus going through Samaria Samaria, with people that there's just utter disdain between these two people groups 
it is, you know, later on, he even tells his disciples not to go there. And the first person that he makes this bold claim to is a Samaritan woman. Um, you know, we can look at all of the, the kind of seen differences between him and her, but that the kind of the unseen reality that our God is willing to reveal himself to anyone at any time, whether he is going about kind of official business or whether he is just, you know, was stopped weary on the side of a road, you know, in a place that he really had no business in is just astonishing to me. Um, you know, I don't know everybody here's story in terms of how you met the Lord, if you, if you know the Lord, but this just resonates with me. Um, you know, I know personally I was not seeking God when he found me. Um, I felt very similar to the woman at the well in the sense that I sure wasn't upfront and honest with the sin that was going on in my life. You know, I actually had brothers ask me about stuff and I was like, no, I'm good. You know, it's all, it's fine. Um, And, and yet he revealed himself, you know, to me. And I just, I think it's amazing um, that of all the times and in all the places, all the people he could have revealed himself to, this is who he revealed himself to. Um, And it certainly like puts in me a desire to worship him. Um, just for the God who, who he is. Um, so that's really all I'd hope to share. Um, I don't have a journey marker. I didn't have a real clean, tidy way to wrap it up because I just kind of had a lot of just random thoughts. But we'll yeah. See. yeah. Yeah. Basically, like, even at the almost at the end, um, uh, right after Jesus tells about the living water, she's like, "Sir, give me this water, <laughs> so I'll not be thirsty and have to come back here." Yeah. yeah right. Okay, <laughs> sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, and then uh, she says again, um, like she's starting to understand that he's somebody important uh, after he talks about her husband. Yeah. Um, but still, she's not really getting it. Because um, she's still talking about the physical, like you were saying. Uh, and then what I really like is, like, Jesus said that, but the hour is coming and now is here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. Not the physical. It's not laws, yeah. deeds, yeah. it's not the mountain, it's not the temple, it's not anything physical in this realm. And I think that's what Jesus is saying. Like he's getting aggravated with this. Like, it's not the physical. Yeah. Yeah. Right? yeah. Get it. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And she still says, like, she just blows him off and says, I know the Messiah is coming. He comes, he'll come yeah. Yeah. I'm done. Yeah. And she's like, and then Jesus says, I of whom you speak am he. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I'm arguing with you. Exactly. <laughs> but even, I mean, yeah, go ahead, sorry. That's, that's when she finally gets it, and she, then she goes back and is like, oh, my goodness, I was thinking different. Yeah. Well, I was going to say, I mean, even after that, you see she goes, I mean, he sends her off and back to the city, and she's like, this man told me everything about me. 
could he be the Messiah? I mean, it's not like she's going out and saying, like, hey, that's definitely him. Like, <laughs> so, yeah. Um, I might differ a little bit on that last part. Yeah. I don't think that he was exasperated or frustrated with her. Um, earlier, when you very started, you were saying that it was just a random thing. I don't think that it was random because it's in Scripture. Mm -hmm. I think also... Um, the Jews would uh, specifically avoid, right. they would yeah. walk a long ways around it to not set foot right. near it. Yeah. And I just have to believe that I think like, throughout scripture, what, throughout his, his three years, whatever, he, he seems to me to be going to sort of the broken people of the world, mm -hmm. like the outcasts. Um, I mean, he was an outcast, yeah. really, um, of the Jews. And um, I just think he, rather than exasperated or frustrated with her, I think he's thinking far beyond her, even though he's yeah. speaking to people today. Yeah. Just as you were saying, first time, you know, this is talking about the Holy Spirit. Yeah. And so I think it was his design to go there. Yeah. Yeah. I uh, just had never thought about this before, but in going through this, thinking about thirst, and generally we think about thirst as like, oh, I'm thirsty, I need some water. Yeah. But what happens if you don't drink? Your body, like bad stuff happens, right? Yeah. You get cramps, your body actually will start to eat itself, right? Like yeah. it, just, it ends up bad. And if you think about spiritual thirst, right. when mm. you think about spiritual thirst kind of in the same way as needing a little refresh, needing some mm -hmm. something if we don't get that sort of and, and this goes to grace as well, if yeah. we don't get that spiritual refresh over time that builds up and it tears up our spirit and tears up our Yeah. Uh, this goes to the law and that the law is what drives that thirst. Mm. Right. And having this eternal spring inside of us, Jesus Jesus is yeah. what allows our spirit to maintain refresh without yeah. the need for this continual yeah. uh, ritual or yeah. whatever it is to make us feel refreshed. Like yeah. Just saying, Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. Every hour, I need you. It's the, the, the well, this hem within us, which refreshes yeah. us from the inside. Absolutely. Just a couple of thoughts that I had, and I'll, I'll share some more of these next week as we yeah. continue the story of the woman. But um, uh, earlier, I looked up what the city, uh, Chicago, mm -hmm. What it, what it meant, because I've never really done it. But it's yeah. a couple of different things. One of the things uh, that it means is uh, the idea of coming to an end, the end. Huh. And, and it means some other things, too, that I might share next week. I'm not sure. But but then when you, which I didn't know what that really meant. Like, what's that all about? And then when you started talking about how the continual coming to the well, a picture of uh, religion, mm -hmm. you know, continuously coming to get a continual you know, dose of whether it be, you know, forgiveness, anointing, yeah. uh, not anointing, um, uh, 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 atonement, you know, whatever, mm -hmm. versus Jesus saying, hey, you drink of this water, you'll never yeah. need to come to this water as well again. Yeah. And that city name, with the idea of it's the end, mm. it's the end of the old system of coming back for more and more forgiveness, more and more righteousness, more and more cleansing, that is, it's ended. There's a new day. It's coming, and it now is. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's cool. And so now, in this new covenant, 
uh, there isn't a continual coming for forgiveness, a continual coming for cleansing, for uh, you know restoration. Mm -hmm. uh, it, it now is that we have this wealth in us yeah. as a, in, the, in a new man. So cool. And then, and, and so I, I never saw that. You know, I never you know yeah. that. So I really appreciate you bringing those things out. And then when she kept going back to, like he talks about the husbands, like I think he's like bringing up like look you're trying to quench your thirst mm. through human relationships yeah. through you know uh you know men you know mm -hmm. how's that working for you yeah. you know you're on number six yeah right how many do you have to do in order to realize this isn't going to quench this yeah. deep deepest thirst you know yeah and then you know the mountain thing worshiping ordeal i think she's like hanging her hat on our father like we share in this inheritance mm -hmm. sort of a deal going back all the way to Jacob. So we're okay yeah. because our heritage is the same as your heritage. We might have some differences, mm -hmm. but we go all the way back. And that's where he just blows it out of, like to yeah. with Nicodemus. Yeah. It doesn't matter. This this heritage, like you're hanging your hat on a physical, like, you know, yeah. saying a physical heritage. Yeah. It's not about a physical heritage. You yeah. must be, like you said, Nicodemus, born again. He starts talking about true worshipers is spirit and mm -hmm. truth and i used to always hear yeah spirit and truth like in this like oh yeah almost, almost like, in conflict exactly. yeah but truth just simply means the reality yeah. the reality is god is not interested in this which mountain you know yeah. which you know religious system he's interested in a whole other kingdom that he has prepared and Jesus being the door because Jesus starts talking was he chapter 8 or so about being the door mm -hmm. the portal through which we enter into this other kingdom which is the kingdom of the spirit kingdom of, of the yeah. reality and so uh, you know she it's like she keeps like she has this like what's it called like a, like a crutch like mm -hmm. here's where I'm hanging my hat on on my husband yeah. on my you know heritage you know shared heritage and it's like but what do we do we do the same thing yeah like, you know, I've been Christian all my life, you know, yeah. or, you know, I've been a, a, a you know, fill in the blank denomination all my yeah. life, you know, like these are what we hang our hats on as opposed to what the truth is that are we born of God's spirit or mm -hmm. are we not? Are we yeah. joined to him or are we not? And that's ultimately the only thing that matters. Yeah. And uh, so awesome, man. I really yeah. appreciate you sharing And There's one part he talks, Jesus uses the term living water. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just, you don't have to do anything to get it. It just comes uh, in. Yeah, yeah. So, so, awesome. when, so when she sees that, it just uh, comes in. Yeah, yeah. All right, I don't know how to do it. That's great. Yeah. No, that's cool. Yeah, I mean, I feel like there's so many parts of that passage that could be like a full sermon in and of themselves. You know, I mean, like spirit and truth, I did not do very much justice to that whole phrase. I mean, you know, there's just so much packed in to what he's saying there. I mean, the living water, absolutely. So, anybody else? Were you gonna, did you want to say something? I was gonna write on what was saying, like, um, water, we get thirsty, and I want to just propose that if at all physically possible, that maybe we can all worship an every day during the also. Mm. But I know families are busy with the kids, and but maybe we can pray in the 
Yeah. That's worse. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Mm. That's great. Yeah. Yeah, no yeah. bells and whistles. Or, yeah. yeah. Another theory about the woman is that it's the sixth hour, which means it's noon, mm-hmm. the hottest part of the day. And typically in the culture I've read, I wasn't there, is that the women would come to the well in the morning where it was cool and lots yeah. of water. There was plenty of water in the well. Sometimes wells can go dry. You know, yeah. Pull from it too much. But the fact she comes in the middle of the day, the idea is she might have been a social outcast. Yeah. Yeah. from the community and so uh, who couldn't join the rest of the women mm-hmm. in the morning and so she had to go in the hottest part of the day by herself yeah and you know just to get water for you know her and you know whoever yeah. she has water for and there's Jesus there's you know the Messiah showing up in the midst of the hottest part of the day for a woman that potentially is rejected by the culture yeah and the whole Samaritans, like you talked about, yeah. rejected from. Oh, it's Samaritans. just I feel like it's outcast upon outcast. Yeah, absolutely. And so his disciples also talking amongst themselves, saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah, yeah." Yeah, there's a lot. Yeah, there's a lot going on. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. Jonas, did you? Yeah, I, I also picked up on the, the idea that it seemed like. This woman almost became a well uh, oh. or, or a resource of something that he pulled out and drew out from. Oh. And, and I see the relationship or the meeting kind of as a, one of those divine appointments. Yeah, oh yeah. She probably didn't have a girl. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and how that he pulled out from her that it seemed like she had something of a hope in her. She mm. said, I know that the Messiah was yeah. so there was something there that came to the surface mm-hmm. that he tapped into that was really put there by yeah. the divine, so to speak, and she didn't even realize it or was not aware of yeah. it. But for her to reveal, so, so in a sense there was something, I have hope, and he will be, and it's kind of like the mystery revealed, yeah. that which was hidden, yeah. and she was in the middle of it and, and didn't realize. Yeah. Well, and piggybacking on that, and I know we're probably close to time, but you know, and I'm guessing what Walt will speak on next week is kind of the end of chapter four. I mean, that that idea of her being tapped into and becoming a well, she becomes a well for the community. Right. Right? I mean, she draws them all back to him, and yeah, many put their faith in him. So I mean, it, that that's cool. I hadn't thought about that. Um, so. Cool. If there are any other comments or not, we can just close in prayer. Um, well, I'll, uh, I'll close us. So, Lord, thank you so much um, that we can come and be together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, Lord, thank you for how you've brought us together, um, how you have uh, created this assembly. Um, and Lord, we just thank you um, that you are the source of life, that you're the source of living water, um, and that you make yourself readily available to us and in us.
Um, thank you, Lord, for your patience and your mercy. Thank you for seeking us. Um, and Lord, we do just um, want to respond in love. And uh, Lord, we just, again, we just thank you. Pray uh, your blessing over, over us. And uh, it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Yep. Thank you again for listening to today's podcast of the teaching at Life Journey Church in Crozet, Virginia. We'd love to hear from you. If God is doing something special in your life, let us know by sending an email to info at lifejourneyva.com. Feel free to pass today's teaching on to any friends and family that you'd like, but please don't change any of it or charge for it. This podcast is made available for free as a ministry of Life Journey Church. If you would like to support the proclamation of the gospel of the grace of God, you can make a donation now on our website, lifejourneyva.com. Have a great day.